0: in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, I'm gonna begin reading at verse 1. This is from the New Living Translation of the scripture, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Listen to what God's word says. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Today I want to preach about Jesus' exalted word explained. That's what I want to preach. That's what's happening in Mark chapter 2. Jesus is in Capernaum not in Nazareth, one of the places he was raised, not in Cana where he turned water into wine. He's, he's in Capernaum. Some suggest he moved his ministry there. And there are others that suggest even the house here is the house that Jesus actually lived in, in Capernaum. And when he was in the house, I like the way the King James Version says, it was noised abroad that Jesus was in the house. The folk who were in the house, told the people outside the house that Jesus was in the house. It's a place where Jesus is exalted. Then it says that Jesus is explaining the word through preaching. This is a place where Jesus is exalted and the word is explained. So it should be no surprise that people are making their way to that house. When the folk in the house who know Jesus tell folk outside the house that don't know Jesus, the folk outside the house that don't know Jesus will come into the house where Jesus is to meet Jesus. When people start blasting the church, I don't take it personal because I pastor the church where Jesus is exalted and the word is explained. That's why people come. People, so many showed up until the house was full. Couldn't get in the house. And Mark says, not even at the door, as though there were people outside the house still trying to get in. And then there were four men who brought a paralyzed man. It says paralytic. He's a paralyzed man. Um, he can't walk. He can't walk the way God designed. He's, he's weak. He's impotent. And they, they carry him to get him into the house where Jesus is. But when they get there, the house is so full, they can't get him in. And so they do some things to get this man into the presence of Jesus. Now here's the first thing I want us to get. We have to be in the habit of bringing people to Jesus. We can't wait for folk who don't walk right to get up on their own and come. We can't wait for people who are weak and impotent, who don't operate the way that God designed for them to operate, to get up on their own and make their way to the house where Jesus is exalted and the word is explained. It's our responsibility to bring them to Jesus. That's what, this man, that's what these four men are doing. They're bringing this man to Jesus. And when they get to the house, the house is so full you can't get in. Had that been you and I, we would have went back home saying, I gave him my best shot. Had that been us, I tried to get this brother to Jesus. His, his life is messed up. And when I tried to get in, couldn't get in there. I did the best I could. And we would have given up on a brother that can't walk right. But these men, they didn't do that because they were, they had made up in their mind, we're going to get this man to Jesus. And notice, it's four of them doing that. And it says, when they, when they lowered the bed down, it's not a bed like the mattresses you and I lay on, it's a mat. So he had a mat, and, and with this mat, there were holes on either side, and they put poles through there. And so, four men each took a corner. They didn't depend on one person to get this, this man to Jesus. Everybody took care of their own corner. And four men got this man to Jesus. Here's what A. Lewis Patterson Jr. says. He says it still takes four to get people to Jesus. He says it takes the love of God. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. It takes um, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It takes the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And then the fourth, it takes the witness of the saint. And A. Lewis Patterson says, the reason why we can't get people to Jesus is because folk keep falling off the mat. And they keep falling off the mat because one of the four won't do their job. Y'all ain't helping me with this. We know it's not God, he so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. God demonstrated His love towards us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died. We know it's not the Holy Spirit. He got His corner. He convicts us of sin, righteousness and judgment. We know it's not Jesus. He went on, on a hill called Calvary and nailed our sins to the cross. We know it ain't Him. But the reason why folk keep rolling off the mat in the 21st century, because we won't do what we need to do in bringing people to Jesus. We got to make sure we're in the habit of bringing folk to Jesus. They get to the house, can't get the man in through the door. We would have been gone by then. They said, no, no, here's what we getting ready to do. We're getting ready to do that which is non-traditional. Everybody that went into this house went in traditionally through the same door. Everybody that got in where Jesus is exalted, everybody that got to where the Word was explained, they all came in through the same door. But then they said, that door won't work for this brother. But since that door won't work for this brother, we ain't giving up on this brother. We're going to do something that's going to raise some eyebrows. We're going to do something that's going to have folk looking at us funny. We're going to do something that's non-traditional. We're going to do something that folk may talk about us. We want to do something that, that they might uh, go against us on Twitter and and put a blog out there on what's wrong with us, but we're gonna do the non-traditional. I'm trying to show y'all something, that if you and I are serious about getting people to Jesus, we have to avoid the tragic trap of tradition. I believe the reason why so many people are not being saved in the 21st century is because so many ministries and so many churches mean well, but they're trapped in tradition and stuff that used to work 100 years ago when Reverend Poole was the pastor of Eastern Star Church, that ain't going to fly in the 21st century. So we can keep doing what we did 100 years ago and nobody gets saved, or we can step outside of tradition and do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. Y'all ain't saying amen. We can't get caught up in the tragic trap of tradition. We have to do whatever. We can't keep doing the same stuff over and over if it doesn't get people to Jesus. That's one thing I can say about Eastern Star Church over the past 100 years, even prior to me getting here 31 years ago. Y'all, there have been transitions and change, and we've been showing y'all that through these videos through, the, through this year, because we understand in this ministry tradition can be appreciated, but it doesn't have to be a trap. I appreciate the tradition that got me saved. I gave my life to Christ when I was 13 years old. That was a long time ago. And I appreciate that tradition. They brought me into the presence of Jesus Christ. But the way that ministry operated, we don't operate like that today. I have an appreciation for the tradition, but I'm not trapped by it. Y'all ain't saying amen to this. Um, It's... Okay, I'll do it like this, because some of y'all... The issue is, we don't like to change. Psychiatrists say by the time somebody is 30 years old, they already set in their ways. And a lot of y'all in here older than 30, you set in your ways. That's why you don't like the setup of this, cause it ain't traditional. That's why you don't like the fact we ain't got on tuxedos and white dresses and big hats because you can't appreciate change as, as a tradition. And we get so, that's why there are still black churches around America that still worship only at 11 a.m. on Sunday. That ain't in the Bible, y'all. That's the that's tradition of the black church because black people worked outside, picking cotton, farmers, agricultural people. And they, they didn't, they would work early in the morning on Sunday, it would get so hot in Mississippi by 11 o'clock they would shut it down and go to church. Y'all didn't know that's why we met at eleven, did you? And you work in an office building with air conditioning and wonder how can we don't worship at eleven? Cause it's a tradition. We can appreciate the tradition, but it's okay to change to get people to. Okay, no, no, y'all ain't. No, no, y'all act like y'all ain't getting this. Um. Oh, I do it like this. Uh I heard this from Pastor Arthur Johnson the first time I heard this. He was talking about this, this young couple that got married. They were newlyweds, and so the wife was doing her thing. She's in the kitchen trying to cook for her husband, and he noticed every time they had ham, his wife would cut off uh, the edges of the ham and then put it in the pan, put it in the oven, and cook the, the ham. And so he kept trying to figure out why is she cutting off the edges of the ham, putting it in the pan, and putting it in the oven. So he asked her, baby, why every time you cook ham, you cut off the edges, and then you put it in the pan and then put it in the oven. And she said, I don't know, that's the way my mama always cooked it. So they called the mother and said, uh, mama, why is it when you cook ham, you cut off the edges and put it in the pan then put it in the oven before you cook? Mother said, I don't know, that's how your grandmama did it. So three generations. And so they called the grandmother. Grandmama, why did you cut off the edges of the ham before you put it in the pan then put it in the oven? And here's what the grandmother said, cause I didn't have a pan big enough for the ham. So I had to cut the edges off to make room for it to get in the pan. Y'all ain't helping me with this thing. Y'all, stuff that used to happen in the past, we don't even know why they do it. We just wanna keep doing the same thing over and over and then wonder why is nobody giving their life to Christ? Why is nobody being saved? Why is nobody's walk changing? Because those of us who are already in the house won't make adjustments to help people get to Jesus. And they said, when we. When we do the non-traditional, they say, here's what we're going to do. We got to take this thing to another level. The text says that those four men were so serious, we're going to do it non We're going to go up on the roof of the house. Now, houses in the first century, if y'all can get that image up for me, houses in the first century, it depends upon how much money you make, how big your house was, but they would have flat roofs and a stairway up to the roof. And the flat roofs would have beams across it, flat beams, and then they would bring in mud and thatch and, and that would be the rooftop. So it wasn't like our roofs in the, 20, in the 21st century. And grass would actually grow up there and people would spend time on their roof. When you wanted some peace and quiet, you go up on your rooftop and chill. Or you wanna just hang out with your, 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 your boy or your girl, you just go up there. That's how they did it, on the roof. So when Jesus was in the house, preaching and teaching, Jesus is exalted, words explained, House was full, they couldn't get in through the door. They said, we gonna take this thing to another level. If I had hours to preach, I would talk about us going from faith to faith, level to level, and glory to glory. And when they get up on the roof, these men decide, we gonna tear this roof. That's what one of the gospel writers said. They tore the roof up. So they tore the roof off the house. And then they They lowered the man down. Here's what I want to get across to you. Anything that stands between a sick man and Jesus needs to be torn up. Anything that stands between a sick woman and Jesus, between a weak boy and Jesus, between an unsaved girl and Jesus, we need to tear it up no matter how long we've been doing it in the ministry. We're so busy trying to hold on to stuff we've already done and missing out on folk coming to Jesus because we won't tear it up. Now, in this ministry, over the past 31 years, I have torn up many stuff we used to do. I started it, I implemented, it. I put it in. Now y'all know if I'm gonna tear up what I put in, I'm sure gonna tear up what you put in. So if it's not working, if, as long as it's working, we gonna do it, I'm very practical. But when it ain't working, y'all, we're not going to let past traditions keep us from getting people to Jesus in the present. Look at somebody and tell them, tear it up. We gotta get out. Man, when I, when, I, um, when I preach funerals, and I, I, I do the home service, then we get in the cars. Y'all know how we do it in the in the black culture. We go out to the cemetery, and as the as the minister, I commit the body. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Now, those of you who have I had to minister to your family, you know I parked so far away from y'all at the at the graveyard. I know y'all wonder why pastor parking three blocks away at the graveyard? Because when I was a young pastor, I would go out there and they double park the cars. I commit the body. Two hours later, y'all still in the graveyard. I don't like the graveyard, I ain't scared. I just, I don't wanna hang out in the graveyard. So I parked way up. And so when I finished committing the, the body, I hugged the family and I walked to my car and I drive away. I'm, I'm the first one to leave, and y'all know that. First one every time. The last time I went out to the, to the graveyard though, I did stay a while and I walked around in the graveyard. I just stayed out there and I was walking around. I was reading the the inscriptions um, that were out there on the headstones that were that were out there. I didn't read every headstone. I read the headstone the inscriptions on the headstones that rested on the graves of dead churches because whatever else happens in my life I don't want to pastor a dead church. So I walked around the graveyard and I was looking at the headstones that rested on the graves of dead churches. And, and one of them said, we've never done it that way before. Then I looked at another headstone that was on a dead church. It said, we've always done it this way. I looked at another one. It said, how much does it cost? I found out those are the last words of dead churches. We've never done it that way before. We've always done it this way. And how much does it cost? Y'all, just because we've never done it that way before doesn't mean we can't do it that way now. Just because we've always done it that way doesn't mean we have to always do it that way. And just because we can't afford it don't mean God can't afford it. Preach, Jeffrey Johnson. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. And the hills are his too. The earth is the Lord's. Even if we can't afford it, God can't afford it. Those are the last words of dead and dying churches. They tore that roof up lowered that man down. And when they, when they lowered that man down, it said, and when Jesus saw their faith, he healed that man that was sick. Yeah. Seeing their faith, not the sick man's faith. When he saw the faith of the four men that was non-traditional, tore up what needed to be tore up, carried this man, got him into the presence of Jesus. Jesus said, this kind of faith and when he saw that he healed that sick man and that man got up and walked out of the building here's what I'm trying to get across to you and I that you can have so much faith (laughs) that God will heal somebody else you can have so much faith that God will deliver somebody else yo there that's what we call intercessory prayer that the person that you praying for then he have to be a christian or have to be saved they don't have that didn't say that this man knew jesus i don't think he knew jesus but the four men that carried him knew jesus and based on their faith jesus healed them y'all i don't care what's happening in your family with your coworkers or your friends if you have enough faith and i know i got some witnesses in here god will deliver somebody else because of your confidence in him and and watch this it says it says and when they saw, when Jesus saw their faith, Yo, you ought to be able to see faith. Faith is functional. We have to have the kind of faith that functions. Faith does something. Faith carries people. Faith tears up roofs. Faith puts people in the presence of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, and faith gives. Pastor, that ain't in the text nowhere. Yes, it is, because somebody had to pay for the roof. You can't just go around tearing up people's roofs. Somebody had to pay to get that man in the presence of Jesus. When Jesus saw this kind of faith, y'all, when you read in Scripture, faith is functional. Faith works. People can see faith. This is the first generation of Christian people that boast about their faith doing nothing. Nothing. I ain't seen nothing like this before. People so spiritual. I got so much faith in Jesus, and I'm gonna prove my faith. Okay? How are you so spiritual, and so? Fit? I don't even have to go to church. I don't. I don't have to give because I'm so spiritual. And got so much faith. I don't have to serve and men. I don't have to do all that because I'm spiritual. This is the first generation of people that claim to be faithful. And Prove it doing nothing, y'all ain't saying amen to this because when Jesus saw their faith, here's what um, uh, the apostle James said he said, Y'all keep talking about your faith, but faith without works is that I'm gonna show you my faith by my works. That's how it's proof you have faith, y'all. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Then it says, by faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah. And you go through that list, when it talks about their faith, keep reading. They were all doing something. You say, by faith, Abel, it didn't stop. No, by faith, Abel gave a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, Enoch, he did something. He walked with God until he went on to glory. By faith Noah, he did something. He built an ark. By faith Abraham, he went looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. By faith Sarah conceived and gave birth to the child that would be the one to bring Jesus into this world. Y'all, faith always does something. For 100 years, people at Eastern Star have had faith. Faith for souls to be saved. Faith for lives to be changed. Faith to make disciples. Faith to develop leaders. Faith to build churches. Faith to plant churches. Faith to feed the hungry, faith to educate. Is there anybody here that know faith got to be functional? Come on, I got faith, it ain't doing nothing. You can give with no faith, but you can't have faith and not give. God said, "I'm gonna if you give, you're tired. I'm gonna open the windows of heaven, pour the blessing. I don't have room to. You talk, know, well, I, I really believe that, and you ain't giving nothing." Faith functions. Are y'all getting this? I got one more and I'm done. Here it is. They lowered that man. Jesus, This kind of faith? I'm going to heal this man, but I want you to see how he healed him. Jesus told the man, son, your sins are forgiven. That don't mean nothing to any of y'all that ain't never sinned. But for those of us like me that missed the mark, I've gone places I wish I had never gone there. I've done some stuff, y'all, I promise, I wish I had never done it. I've treated people in ways I wish I had not treated, I've said some things to some people, I wish I had never said that, and y'all ain't gotta look at me all holy cause I ain't the only one here that's sin. But the reason I'm up preaching is because he forgives sin. That's my only point. That's the only point I want y'all to get. Your sins are forgiven. Cause some of y'all crazy right now cause you don't know your sins are forgiven. Living in shame, you don't have to. Your sins are forgiven. You all guilty, your sins are forgiven. You're all depressed, your sins are forgiven. That's the only thing I want y'all to get. When they asked you, what did Jeffrey Johnson preach today? Your sins are forgiven. And watch this. He said, son, your sins. Because I'm not going to, he says, I'm not going to let your sin keep you from being my son. It's a trick of the enemy to make you think after you've given your life to Christ, believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, you received him, then you made a mistake, and the enemy's trying to make you think you're no longer a child of God. So Jesus said, let me clear this up. I know you sinned, but you steal my son. You steal my daughter. That didn't change. Now, what sin does sin doesn't rob you of your relationship with God. But it does mess up that fellowship with God. I mean, my my sons and I try to have a good relationship and fellowship with them. And then sometimes they disobey the father. I didn't stop being their father. The relationship never changed. What changed was the fellowship. Y'all, <laughs> sin is a joy stealer. Psalm 51. David had committed adultery and, and he committed murder, all kind of stuff he did, man. He was corrupt in, in, as a head of state and office, and then somebody pointed his sin out to him, and David said, Psalm 51, Lord, have mercy upon me according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercy. Blot out all my triumphs. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. And when you keep reading, he says this, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Let me tell you what he didn't say. He didn't say restore unto me my salvation. Still had a salvation. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Cause sin is a joy still. Have you ever done something you shouldn't have done and then try to go to talk to God? Sin is a joy stealer. So Jesus says, even though you sin, you steal my son. I got to rush this. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now we know why the man couldn't walk right. His sin did that to him. Now, don't misquote me. When y'all start tweeting and all that, I don't believe that everybody who is sick, I don't believe everybody who's suffering, is suffering because of sin. I don't believe that. You can mind your own business and suffer. You can be the the holiest person in the world. And Jesus was, he was tempted in all points as we are. He knew no sin, but he still suffered. You can suffer and, and not do wrong. So all suffering, all sickness is not because of sin, but all sin leads to suffering. The reason why Jesus said to this man, your sins be forgiven, because he wants this man to know the reason you can't walk right, the reason you're in the situation you're in right now is because of your sin. But I'm going ready to free you from that. Your sins are forgiven. And some of us can testify. You know, people tell me, how you doing? Well, you know, the devil really busy. Sometimes it ain't the devil. I did something, I messed up, I'm reaping what I, I sold the wind, now I'm reaping the whirlwind. It ain't the devil, I did this to me. Y'all ain't gonna say amen. Y'all gonna act like y'all ain't never done nothing wrong. Your sins are forgiven. And then people heard that. You know, the house is jam packed. Everybody looking at this. And then some said, What? He said, Your sins are forgiven? And then they said, Only God can forgive sin. That's what they're thinking. They were thinking. Jesus said, Wait, I know what y'all thinking. Y'all wondering. Why didn't I say, take up your bed and walk? It's in the text, Mark 2. Jesus said, I didn't say, take up your bed and walk. The reason I said, your sins are forgiven, because I want y'all to know, I forgive sin. (laughs) Y'all, somebody right now is so messed up because of sin. You you sinned five years ago, and you still won't forgive yourself. Jesus said, I could have said, take up your bed and walk, but I wanted... Eastern Star Church in Indianapolis to know God forgives it. And this, I'm not trying to be judgmental towards you. Every time I get up to preach, <laughs> Satan plays reruns in my mind. Right? So the music ministry's up. They sing I'm trying to get my mind together. Okay, here I'm going to share God's word. I want people to be saved. I want to make disciples. I want people to, to recommit their life to Christ in the church. And when I'm getting, I'm trying to go over my message in my head and get, make sure things are in order. And then here comes... Satan with a rerun in my head. You trying to preach? Don't you remember you did this? And then a rerun comes. Don't you remember you went here? Don't you remember you talk like that? Don't you remember you act like that? And it's right before I get up to preach. But I've learned through the years. My sins are forgiven. I said Satan get behind me. Cause I've been covered by the blood. Do I have a witness in here? Y'all, your sins have been forgiven. He cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. Y'all, not as far as the south is from the north. The north and the south, you can head off taking south and keep going, you're running the north. Head off going north, you're running the south. But if you head off going east, you can go all the way around the world and never run in the west unless you turn around. That's how far Jesus has cast your sins from you. He cast them as far as the east is from the west, and the only way you see your sin again is if you turn around. And I don't know about you, but i come too far to turn around now. Your sins are forgiven. In the Old Testament, it says that God took your sins and threw them in the sea. And and here's what my mentor said. It's the sea of forgetfulness, never to rise again in this world or the world to come. Your problem is you keep going back fishing for your sin. Just leave them where God put them. In the Old Testament, it said, God put your sins in a bag. Then he sold up the bag. Your sins are forgiven. Book of Hebrews, it says, he will remember your sin no more. If God has forgotten your sin, why you keep bringing it up? Y'all ain't getting this. Your sins are forgiven. 1 John 1 and 9, if you confess your sin, he faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and then cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I love this. Because your sins are forgiven. I wanna give y'all an assignment when you get home. Do it outdoors, don't do it in the house. Take a legal pad, take a, a piece of legal paper and write your sins on it. Everything you've done, mistakes you've made, write your sin, your trespass, write them on the legal pad. And then take that lighter, you've been, take that lighter and, and burn up the legal pad. Y'all got to get the image on the screen. I'm trying to show them something. Put your sin on the the legal path, then light the fire, and then watch your sin. That's what God is doing with your sin. He's taking your sin away. He went up on a hill called Calvary and he nailed your sin to the cross. Maybe this is just for me. Your sins are, look at somebody and tell them, your sins are forgiven. Look at somebody else, tell him your sins are forgiven. Now somebody give him glory, because your sins, what can wash away my sin? Nothing, but the blood of you, what can make me whole again? Nothing, but the blood, somebody give him glory, because your sins are forgiven. Come on, stand with me.